people are not very happy when growing up and having belly pain. I've heard of stories where people have been vomiting, you know, 10, 15 times a day on these medications. And it obviously, you know, aside from being, you know, medically concerning, it decreases quality of life. This is All Things Fitness and Wellness, hosted by Chrissy Van. Together, we're uniting industry thought leaders and fitfluencers on the mission to inspire innovation and encourage people to live a life fit and well. Brought to you by Fitness World, your fitness, your way. Visit fitnessworld.ca. Welcome to our first episode of Exercise Snacks Bite Size Science. These new snack size episodes will be every other Monday, where we discuss the latest research in fitness and wellness straight from the scientists and researchers themselves. On today's show, we welcome Moet Sodi, a fourth-year medical student at the University of British Columbia, who was just named in Forbes' top 30 under 30 in healthcare. Sodi recently faced global media attention for revealing the heightened risk of severe stomach issues with Ozempic and other similar weight loss drugs. We're going to be learning more about this study and what it means for those who are entertaining GLP-1 semiglutide as a weight loss tool. But before we get to it, be sure to hit like and subscribe. We have new podcast episodes every Wednesday featuring industry thought leaders. I'm your host, Chrissy Van, and this is ATFW. I know that there's so much talk in media right now about GLP-1, semiglutide. People know the names Wagovi, Ozempic. So explain to people, first of all, what they are and what was the intended use? So, so GLP-1 agonists are a class of medication that were initially approved for, uh, for diabetes management. So what GLP-1 does is that it uh, stimulates glucose-dependent insulin release from the pancreas. So when glucose comes into the body, it stimulates you know, insulin release from the pancreas to help lower the amount of glucose in the blood when someone takes that medication. Now, well, one of the side effects that was found in GLP-1 agonists is uh, weight loss. With regards to that, the, the mechanism of action is that it delays gastric emptying. So it sends signals to the brain, making you feel fuller. Um, so that's why um, you know, you end up getting some of the side effects, but also get some of, you know, like the negative side effects, but you also get some of the positive side effects and that you lose weight. Well, and we saw the media storm that happened around that. And I know because of that, there were even some shortages when it came to getting the medication. People that needed it weren't able to procure it. So it has been a massive topic of discussion. But as much as a lot of people have celebrated the side effect of weight loss, there are other pieces to the story when it comes to its use. We know there can be other side effects. So before we dive into your particular piece of research, what were some of those notable concerns? So with regards to some of the other side effects that people were having, they're usually found in the randomized control trials. A lot of people had nausea, vomiting. There was some uh, incidence of pancreatitis, biliary disease, things like that. And then Eventually, you know, our, our, our research came along and, you know, ours was the, uh, the largest um, study uh, to date to examine these side effects in a real-life clinical setting as opposed to a randomized control trial. It's called a pharmacoepidemiologic study, and we actually found that there is an increased risk in addition to some of those other side effects that I mentioned um, of gastroparesis or that stomach paralysis, as well as uh, bowel obstruction. So tell me how this research was conducted and who were the people that were involved in the trial in regards to did they have particular ailments? Was this ruling out particular ailments from the get go? What did this look like? So we used a, a health claims database 
based out of the U, uh, the USA. It's a random sample of 16 million patients from across the country. We specifically uh, had people, a part of our study, who were using the medication for weight loss. Um, so diabetes in and of itself can actually increase the risk of some of the outcomes that we looked at. So the main outcomes that we looked at were uh, bowel obstruction, um, gastroparesis, uh, biliary disease, so things like gallstones, you know, gallbladder infections, things like that, pancreatitis as well. And diabetes can actually, you know, at baseline increase the risk of those particular conditions. So what we want to do is kind of take diabetes out of the question and kind of only look at people who are using it specifically for weight loss. Plus, you know, as you mentioned earlier, there's this huge craze for people using these medications for weight loss. So that's another reason why we kind of why we kind of want to look at it. So when you talk about the results, what was the prevalence of these issues that were coming up and how does that translate? Because I think it highlights 40 million in the U.S. in 2022. So this is widespread use of these medications. So how frequently were these occurrences? And because I know sometimes we hear things from a study and then you're like, do we need to actually be concerned about this or is this a small percentile? But when we're talking about millions upon millions of people using it, would there be cause for this to be a strong consideration if you're going this route? Yeah. So uh, when you look at the actual incidents of these adverse events in and of themselves, they're actually not super common. So I'll give you an example. Um, with semaglutide or you know medications like Ozempic and Wagovi, with, with use of those medications, there was about a 1% incidence of uh, gastroparesis. So that's that stomach paralysis. Now, it doesn't seem like a whole lot, but when you, like you mentioned, when you have millions and millions of people taking these medications, you know, that can, you know, surmount to, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, right? So when you scale it on a larger, you know, on a larger population, that number actually can be quite significant. And these, these side effects, I mean, people are not very happy, you know, when, when they're growing up and, um, you know, having belly pain. I've heard of stories where people have been vomiting, you know, 10, 15 times a day on these medications. And it obviously, you know, aside from being, you know, medically concerning, it decreases quality of life. Not just physically when you're dealing with something like that, but mentally, that would be really tough to get through. I know there's a, I don't know if you can kind of <coughs> fact check this for me, but you kind of hear a lot of talk that if you start on these medications that you can't stop them is there truth to that? How does that work? Because I can't imagine if all of a sudden you're having these adverse side effects that it's something you'd necessarily want to continue onwards with. Yeah, so that's that's a bit of a tricky question because it was relatively new when uh, these medications were approved for weight loss. So it is, you know, there's a lot of area on whether or not you can stop it or you can't stop it if you gain the weight back, if you lose muscle, all these sorts of things. Um, people are doing a lot of great research into looking into these uh, particular outcomes. I think at the end of the day, you know, when you're, if you do decide to take these medications, just be more informed. You know, we're huge proponents of informed consent. So if you want to, you know, if, if you think that taking these medications will help you reach your goal, that's totally fine. But just make sure that you're well aware of, you know, potential side effects, you know, the benefits as well, you know, and that involves you talking to your, you know, your family physician or whoever's prescribing these medications for you to make sure that you're doing it in a safe manner. Yeah. And I imagine you wanted to get the word out as well, because you speak to a good point. People should be talking to their physician, but in the age of the internet, that hasn't always been the case, right? I think that that's one of the more concerning things is that, you know, um, you can get a lot of these medications 
um, online um, without like actually speaking to a physician. Just in the news recently as well, there's a huge crackdown on um, the fake Ozempic pens um, that people have been kind of selling on the black market. So it's very important to make sure that you get it prescribed by a licensed practitioner, um, whether that be your endocrinologist, family physician, whoever it may be, and then have a conversation with them and make sure that you know, they they explain to you, you know, how to use a medication properly, what potential side effects could be, and what to do about those side effects if they do happen. And then, uh, you know, have them follow you while you're taking, you know, these medications on your weight loss journey, or, or for whatever reason, you, you may be taking these. Well, and it is so important to be informed. And I know when research like this is in conducted and you find these results, often it can impact a ripple effect or change. So warning labels, I know even there was an article this week and the study in particular was done by Novo Nordisk, which does Wagovi. So they were the ones paying for it, which I just think is important to highlight. But theirs was talking about some of the cardiac benefits to their usage. But on the flip side, something like your research here that highlights very concerning issues if you are that 1%. So what are your thoughts on the warning labels on these medications? Kind of touches on some of the legalities and like the yep. class action lawsuits and stuff. So I'll stay away from discussing that. Completely fair. But, but generally speaking, um, you know, there is, uh, you know, there's a lot of research coming out about these medications, you know, like the, the cardiorenal protective effects of these medications uh, has been previously studied. And it does show that, um, you know, there, there can be a potential benefit um, in people with diabetes. Now, this new research is showing that it could be protective, uh, well, somewhat protective in people using it for weight loss, which I mean, is good. But like every, like every medication in the world, like it, there's always benefits and drawbacks, right? Um, any medical intervention for that matter, right? Uh, you know, if you if you if you're getting surgery, right? You know, there's obviously risks and benefits of surgery, right? If you have appendicitis and you know you need to get your appendix taken out, there's risk of that surgery, but there's also the benefit and that you you know you get your appendix taken out and you're not going to be in a lot of pain, right? So I think it's important to kind of weigh those risks and benefits. And kind of the point of our study is um, to highlight the fact that. Um, people have different risk benefit calculations, right? So someone who um, has a hemoglobin A1C of 10%, you know, someone who has very significant diabetes, they may be more willing to accept these potential adverse events than someone who, you know, like you see in the news all the time, people who are using these medications, you know, to lose that last 10 pounds or last 15 pounds, you know, in preparation for a particular event or whatever. So people who want to lose that last little bit of weight, they may be if they had informed consent, they may not be willing to accept that 1% risk of, you know, having, you know, a significant, uh, you know, morbidity associated with this medication. Well, and that risk versus reward benefit too is so individual as you highlight and again, emphasizes the importance that you hear these results of weight loss. And obviously I do a fitness and wellness podcast. And as much as the narrative is shifting in the fitness industry for the social benefits of exercise, the mental health benefits of exercise and prevention of chronic disease, there is still that narrative of people that want the quick fix. And as this has gotten into a bit of a snowball effect, people are kind of seeking out this for the vanity drug purpose, which Again, no judgment if that's a life choice, but again, it's very important to understand the potential repercussions that could be involved in that. One of the things that it does tackle, though, is we are in a physical inactivity crisis, and as a result, our obesity numbers are quite high. So just 
this is more curious on your opinion here. Do you feel, because we talk about a lot here, how I believe it's 84% of the population doesn't get enough physical activity. Do you think that people who maybe have been struggling and need to go from that no fit inactive to low fit, that if they go this route, it could potentially help them along that journey since it gets the initial weight loss started? As a healthcare professional, um, I'm going to resort to um, answering that question, you know, from a from an evidence based perspective, right? So, um, if someone wants to lose weight, great for them. That's awesome. Um, you know, there's like you mentioned, there's so many mental health, physical health benefits of exercise, and uh, doing exercise on a regular basis has shown to vastly improve health um, in all sorts of different uh, perspectives, right? Now, if someone wants to, uh, you know, start taking some of these medications to help start that weight loss journey, that's a personal decision and that's up to them, right? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, no matter what you're doing, um, you know, making sure that you do engage in regular physical activity, um, whether that's strength training, um, cardio fitness, um, I don't know, swimming, like, like whatever, whatever you want to so do. So many options, you, right? Yeah, you, for choice. You. <laughs> yeah, you know, you could, you could, if you want, you can go skiing, you can go swimming. I mean, we live in Vancouver, right? Like you can do that in the same day if you wanted to. I think at the end of the day, it's really important to make sure that you do engage in physical fitness. Fitness. Um, if you do choose to start, you know, something like Ozempic, just make sure that you're informed about that decision and then, you know, kind of go from there. Yeah. And kind of on that note, because you did mention, and I know that it's one of the side effects as well to the more research is coming out in regards to, I don't know if muscle waste or muscle loss. So would it maybe be more important to incorporate strength training if you are venturing on these? Because I would think that's something you need to combat. It's great if, let's say, you're using it for weight loss, that you're losing weight, but no one wants to be losing muscle as well because we need those. Yeah, muscles are usually pretty important, right? They're (laughs) they're what move our skeleton. I have to carry my groceries up three flights of stairs every day, so they're very important. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, I I think I think research in that perspective is ongoing. Like I've read about what you've what you mentioned. And it seems like there could potentially be an aspect of muscle wasting um, when people take these medications, um, especially long term. Um, But you know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, do whatever cardio fitness or weight training fitness, whatever you want to do, right? You know, the benefits of weight training are are, are very uh, well known, you know, like increasing bone density, increasing muscle mass. And when you increase your muscle mass, it increases your basal metabolic rate. And, you know, even if you're sedentary all day compared to someone who doesn't have as much muscle mass as you, you'll end up burning more fat at rest, you know, than someone who doesn't, right? Benefits of weight training are always great. You know, if you're taking Ozempic at the same time, weight training is great. You know, like, go for it. Do you do you. <laughs> I know it's often really hard, especially from the medical community to ever uh, dismiss the power of exercise. And it's just like the more people we can get moving, the better. Lastly, obviously, one of the big topics of our conversation today has been the fact that if this is a route that you are going to go, that you should be as informed as possible when people are going to their healthcare professional. Are there certain questions that they should be asking? I think generally, you know, for someone who goes to their family physician or whoever that and tells them that, Hey, I want to lose some weight. What do you recommend? I think, um, I'll be very surprised if there was, um, a family physician who at the first go would say, start medication. I think most people would generally say, 
um, you know, try, you know, if, if someone is otherwise sedentary, you know, try engaging in physical activity. Um, if they're not able to otherwise due to, you know, another medical concern, maybe addressing that medical concern and, and making suggestions on how to work around that or referring them to someone um, who can help them deal with that medical condition to help them moving. And then I think just, you know, like we talked about before, just making sure that if you do decide to, you know, start Ozempic or Wagovi or whatever, um, making sure that you ask about what are the potential risks. And more and more research is coming out. And, and, and on the flip side, asking what are the benefits, right? So obviously, you know, you're hoping to lose weight. But like you mentioned uh, earlier, you know, there is some emerging research that there may be cardiorenal protective effects. Just making an informed choice, you know, like if, if you want to start this on your weight loss journey, you know, more power to you, right? But just be informed about, you know, what you're getting yourself into. I appreciate the research of you and your team that is helping people make more informed decisions as well. And we look forward to continuing to follow your work. And of course, there's research coming out around the globe on this topic. I have a feeling this is one that we're not going to hear quieting down anytime soon. But I just thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. You've just listened to the All Things Fitness and Wellness podcast hosted by Chrissy Van. This episode was brought to you by Fitness World, your fitness, your way. Be sure to hit like and subscribe. We have new podcast episodes weekly featuring industry insiders and influencers. Together, we're on a mission for everyone to live a life fit and well.